This is Jim Wallace. We're talking today about the soul of the nation. It was natural and sincere for many people to offer their thoughts and prayers to the high school students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas after they lost 17 friends, teachers, and coaches in this tragic mass shooting with an AR-15. But I was immediately struck by the response of many of those students. Even those of deep personal faith, they said that our thoughts and prayers were no longer enough. That really struck me. Our thoughts and prayers are no longer enough. Now, I believe in the power of prayer. I really do. But the Apostle James tells us, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Thoughts and prayers without action. That's what the kids are challenging us with. So I want to talk about the connections between thoughts and prayers and and our actions in relationship to gun violence. These students who survived the now-dubbed Valentine's Day Massacre were all born after the 1999 Columbine High School shooting. That strikes me as important. That shooting marked the beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in school. Since then, more than 150,000 students attending at least 170 primary or secondary schools in the United States have experienced a school shooting on their campus. That's stunning to me. That many students have had these horrific, heartbreaking, and family-destroying moments in their schools. When these students were five and six and seven years old, they had drills, shooter drills in their schools, reminding me of the nuclear drills that we had in my generation when we were in school. They literally told us to hide under our desk to protect us from nuclear war. But now these new weapons of mass destruction are available on the street and they're showing up in schools. They're not from places far, far away. They're right here in our own communities, and they end up in our schools. And many of them have a question that they now ask their parents. Mom, Dad, could I be shot at school? That's a painful question to have to ask your parents. But now they are teenagers watching and listening to the world around them. And now these teenage students are asking us some very hard questions. They're saying, why is this normal? Why is the older generation, including our parents, not protecting us? And why have our elected officials allowed this to happen? The students are already moving from questioning to acting. They're saying, this can and must be changed. Pay attention here. Social change always comes when the next generation decides to no longer accept what the last generation accepted. For example, uh, take the Vietnam War. I was a young student, and we as young people uh, believe that war was wrong. We learned the war was based on deception and fear, and our friends were being sent over to die, and untold numbers of Vietnamese were being killed. And we said the war is not right. It's wrong. It's a mistake. It must end. 
and we had almost no elders supporting us. I remember we were almost alone, yet we said, we're going to stop this war. And they told us, we couldn't. You're just students. You can't stop a war. But we did. Young people can change things. So these students are refusing to accept the distractions, excuses, the inaction that has prevailed for so long in relation to gun violence. This generation knows how to talk to each other. They know how to communicate and connect with each other more than any generation before. And they're doing that. They're connecting all over the country. And they're all getting old enough to vote. And some already are, and they're registering. The big question now for us is, the older generation, what can we do? What should the high school parents do? I'm one of them. What can our elected officials be forced to do? And yes, what can our churches and those who call ourselves people of faith, what can we do now to protect our young people? I think it's time for all of us to support the emerging agenda of the high school students themselves, who are leading us now. The student survivors are turning their grief into action. They're dealing with their trauma by deciding that the status quo on guns in this country is, for them, no longer acceptable. Here's what they're saying very clearly. Number one, pass truly universal background checks. No exceptions or loopholes for anybody buying a gun any place or any time. Two, ban assault weapons. One of the most consistent demands of these students is to take weapons of war out of civilian hands. And three, directly take on the NRA, the National Rifle Association, in ways that will break its hold on the gun debate. The students are clearly saying that politicians who accept NRA contributions should not be reelected, period. And I agree. Florida, like many places around the country, especially in the South, has large faith communities. Parkland is no exception. A lot of churches, a strong Jewish community, many people of other faiths. And in the aftermath of the shooting, those congregations did what churches often do. They, they became places for grieving, uh, for vigils, and finally for funerals. But what do we mean when we say we're offering up our prayers or having vigils or hosting funerals? What does it mean to put those prayers into action? I want to call on pastors and places of worship, congregations, to put our prayers into action. For example, on March 18th, the Sunday, uh, many churches will be scheduling a prayer time during their service, inviting their students and teachers to the altar as the whole congregation prays for their safety and for their welfare. Many students are planning walkouts from their school on March 14th beforehand, and many of them are going to churches uh, to talk and pray and strategize for what to do next. And now the young people in Florida have called for a march for our lives in Washington and around the country on March 24th. And you'll be seeing 
churches and pastors sending their young people with chaperones, like on a trip, a church trip, to Washington. And some of them staying in local church basements. And churches and synagogues and mosques can continue to be safe spaces for grief and gathering and discussion. And maybe even to host forums in their communities on the dangerous and complicated issues of gun violence. Uh, youth pastors could talk to their youth groups about gun violence and mass shootings and plan trips to their state capitals in Washington to give students a voice. As, and as faith leaders and parents of young kids, we could dedicate ourselves to our children's safety with a serious commitment to our preaching and praying and acting against the scourge of gun violence and rooting ourselves in the biblical message of peace and justice and healing. Now, let me get even more provocative here and uh, specific. Our faith and prayers have to move us to action. So I want to call our churches and other houses of worship to join a church boycott of the NRA. Let me say it again so it's clear. A church boycott of the NRA. Now, what might that look like? Well, here are some ways that churches and other congregations of faith could literally help break the NRA's stranglehold on the gun debate. Number one, a membership, an issue in the church. Ask what making churches gun-free zones might look like, even given security concerns. Most importantly, make gun violence a faith issue in our churches, in our congregations. Three, consider breaking off relationships with the financial institutions that extend lines of credit to assault weapons manufacturers who are behind the NRA. The NRA has become a lobby for gun makers. That's what they now are. And some banks are breaking relationship with them. It's time for us to do that, too. So consider taking steps to divest from mutual funds and other investment assets that include gun manufacturers in our church portfolios. Find out which companies have partnerships with the NRA. Go to thinkprogress.org, and you can find that information. Boycott those companies, and instead spend your money with companies that have broken off their connections with the NRA. Go to moneycnn.com and find out. These are rental car agencies, airlines, and banks that have already acted. Shop at stores like Dick's Sporting Goods and others that have taken strong stands. Pressure other stores in the industry to make changes in their policies on selling assault weapons or insisting on background checks. If companies are doing the right thing, the moral thing, why not churches too? Churches ought to support companies. They're doing the right thing and the moral thing and boycott those that aren't. Go to sojo.net and find out how you can be a part of the church boycott of the NRA. And finally, the NRA doesn't just offer money to campaigns. They mobilize voters. They get out the vote. They make members of Congress believe that they can change their election or re-election. So we have to mobilize voters 
and make our members of Congress realize that their reelection is truly at stake here. That we're saying, if you want our vote, you must support truly universal background checks. You must ban assault weapons. Military-style weapons don't belong in civilians' hands. If you don't do that, you won't get our vote. That you must break with the NRA. It's time to change. The kids are telling us that this is no longer acceptable. It's time for us to let them lead us. Our children are leading us. And our youth groups can help point the way forward. It's time to listen and follow their lead. Isaiah 11.6 says it well. And the child shall lead them. This is Jim Wallace for the soul of the nation.